This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you're amazed by who he is, I just feel like he's not done doing that. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like this is a let's stop worship and go into something else. I, I really feel like he's uh, just getting started. So, where do I even begin? Um, I will say... Personally, I'm very thankful for what uh, Grace you brought last week about restoring imagination because it set a grid for like even what was happening here in worship. It was like, oh my gosh, there's a revitalization of like what what God can do in me because of what you taught. So I'm kind of intoxicated with that and worship. And so I just, um, with that, uh, that's where I'm at. I'm just kind of letting you in on where I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at, but I'm very hungry for more. It's almost kind of bothered me. Does that make sense? Like once you realize how real he is and how good he is, you start to examine like, okay, well, I want I want you more real here. Like on my car ride home, why do I switch off? You know, we leave, we just have this great time. We get in our car and we're like immediately get on the road and we're like, all right, forget that. Why? Why? Matt is good. Matt is good, but he's not God. The presence of God you felt was not because a man was playing some keys. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm hungry for tonight. And so, you know, we're talking about unhindered faith in, um, in, in this, uh, I guess, module. And, we, you know, I, I've talked about before, we kind of talk about faith is born in the context of relationship. It's born through intimacy. It's where it comes from. A rhema, a living word from God coming to us. And so if our relationship is hindered, then our faith will be hindered naturally. So I really want to talk about, are there things in our lives that we can unhinder in our relationship with God. Cool. And I know you guys might be perfect, but I have some things that really bother me about my relationship with God that I want to grow in. So this is for us, but mainly for me tonight. Feel free to just like, if I touch it, something, just point it back at me. Cool. Okay. So how do we change our relationship? If we feel stuck, if you don't feel as free as you want, if you don't feel satisfied, if there's some areas of your faith that you feel like is dead, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, cool. So let's go to John chapter eight verse 31. And as you go, just get ready to meet with Jesus. I feel like this is so much bigger than words on a page tonight. So I'm very excited. John chapter 8, verse 31. Very familiar verse. Almost like bothersome how familiar it is. Too familiar, dangerously familiar. John chapter 8, verse 31 says this, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'll keep reading. They answered him. This is like the Pharisees and stuff. We are Abraham's descendant, descendants, and we have been and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides in the house forever. Therefore, if a son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants. This is verse 37. But you seek to kill me, Jesus talking, because my word has no place in you. I speak what I see my father. I see. I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you 
Oh my gosh, sorry. Can I say something quick before I mess this verse up anymore? You know, I was thinking as I was walking down here was, I don't have to be perfect in presenting the word. I have his heart. And it was so funny because I was thinking that, but then I heard like Matt hit a wrong note in worship and it didn't mess up with my presence. And that's what I'm saying. He's just a man. What you're accounting with God. And so when you go into these scriptures and stuff and even listen to someone teach, I'm not, my goal is not to be perfect here, but I do have a heart for, for God's heart. And I feel like he's got something for you tonight. So as I stumble through this last verse, let's lock in. He said, I'll go back to 37. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father and I do what you have seen with your father. Oh, and you do what you have seen with your father. Cool. We did it. Read the Bible. All right. So, so I kind of got distracted there, but the point of this conversation here is really, really simple, actually. The truth shall set me free. Amen. If I was preaching, everyone would go, oh yeah, you know, we'd get fired up there. But tell me this, were the Pharisees free? What? Come on. Why? Yeah. You guys, you kind of ruined my whole thing. I was going to do a whole thing here, but, um, <laughs> but what I was going to say is why would he tell them you shall know the truth? And the truth? Why, what, what would the, be the point of telling them, Hey, you need to be set free. Or even in verse 34, where he says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Why would he be bringing that up? Because you guys guessed it. They're not free. So what did Jesus mean when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free? When he was talking about knowing the truth, what do you think he was talking about? Who knew the word of God more than anyone at that time? Yes. So do you think he was saying, you shall read your Bibles even harder and the Bible shall set you free? If you just study the Greek and Hebrew hard enough, you'll be free. Do you think he was saying that? All right, so you guys are smarter than me because I thought he was saying that for a large, large portion of my life. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. It's because we have these Pharisees who are hearing the truth, but not free. And he's saying, if you, if you, if you, you know, if you know the truth, you'll be set free. I'm painting a picture here for us, but it's a really personal one for me because just to be vulnerable, I, I would go about my life memorizing the Bible because I love the word of God. But then sometimes a mentor or someone would come to me and actually correct something in my heart. And they'd be like, hey, you actually, you, you need to grow. And I would, I would defend it with scriptures. So I wouldn't be able to hear him, just like they talked about in verse uh, 37. I, it's, uh, Jesus says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So he's sitting there saying this stuff and they can't hear him, but they can quote scriptures. They're like, well, look, we're Abraham's descendants. Yeah. And so often for my life, I've actually been robbed of growth and encounters, personal encounters. You know, that word um, no in the Greek is actually, it's... Um, is, recogni- is a, recogni- a recognition of truth by personal experience. So he wasn't trying to puff up their intellects. He wasn't saying, you know, you shall know the truth. You guys have to be smarter. You have to know, know the, the word better than you do. He was saying, you shall personally experience. He was trying, he was addressing the relationship with truth. Right. So for me and that, so, you know, it's easy to look at the Pharisees, but look at me. I'm sitting there saying, you know, I have, I, I know my Bible. I've been raised in church. I'm a super Christian. I can memorize. I could tell the oh, I could do all this stuff. Right. And then someone comes and says, Hey, you need to grow in this area. I say, wait, what about this? But I have my scriptures to defend where I'm at. Cause my intellect's puffy enough that I don't actually have to have a personal experience with God. You know, <sighs> and I love that you talked about pride tonight, Matt, that got me right in the gut. Um, okay, cool. 
<laughs> which means Jesus wasn't talking about intellectual capacity. He was addressing the relationship with truth. The best part about this exchange is he wasn't being rude or calling them out. He was actually inviting us to have a personal experience with truth. He was like, come on, let's be free. Do personal experience with truth. Do you want to be set free? It's going to happen through a personal experience with truth. Our relationship with truth can set us free. It can. But what did it do for the Pharisees? <laughs> I'll read verse 37 one more time. I know, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Our relationship with truth can set us free. But what they do? They tried to kill him. Actually, they did kill him temporarily. Whenever we refuse to kill an old way of thinking, we choose to kill a new one. Jesus, whenever, whenever we refuse to kill an old way of thinking, we choose to kill a new one. So Jesus is coming on the scene saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The truth will set you free. My father has sent me. He wants to adopt your sons. And he's like, no, we already have Abraham. You go die. I'll read 37 again. I know, Jesus talking, I know that you're Abraham's descendants and you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. There was no room for Jesus. There was no room for what Jesus was trying to bring. When I was in school, I studied this thing called the rule of first mentions in the Bible. And it's simple. I wrote it here like this. The Bible's, uh, the Bible's first mention of a concept is often the simplest and clearest presentation of it. So to fully understand an important and a complex theological concept, Bible students are advised to start with the first mention of it. Do you guys remember when Jesus was born? Very similar to what's happening here. There was no room for him. And there was a king trying to kill him. The first, this is the context of how we're introduced to Jesus as the gift of God. He says, I want to give you this gift. The gift gets here and the king's like, let's kill this baby. And everyone's like, no, nah, we don't got room for him. And look, we hear in verse 37, it says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. There's no room. See, whenever they're holding on to this old way of thinking and therefore they have to kill the new one. Isn't that crazy? So it's, it's fun to know. Again, the goal of this, the goal of this is not to puff up our intellect. Because that's a fun one you could post on Instagram. Uh, uh, what, is, what does it say? I got to read it. I don't I didn't even, let me, whenever we refuse to kill the old way of thinking, we choose to kill a new one. That's when you go, mm, that's nice. I'm going to tell my mom. That's what I know. But that, that's not the goal of tonight. It's not to puff up our intellect. Remember that we're talking about unhindering faith. How much more hindered can you get than dead? How much more hindered can our faith get than dead? And some of us drag around this dead. No, I won't go there. But I won't go there. But let's just go to James 2. And we'll talk about it there. How about that? James 2. Um, James 2. You guys can go to. You guys can go to. Um, uh, yeah, he says some mean stuff in there. James 2. You guys can go to verse 20. Um and let me grab my other Bible real quick. I'm reading out of the NIV for this one. Sorry, Evangeline, don't, don't get mad at me, but I'm actually going to start in verse 14. So remember the context of this is we're talking about dead things. And whenever we refuse to kill an old way of thinking, we choose to kill a new one, right? So how much hindered, how much more hindered can you get than dead when it talks about faith? And this, this is what he's talking about here is dead, um, uh, 
Faith without works is dead, right? Okay. All right. Can I? T- I'll, I'll read it first. You don't have to go there, Evangeline. I'm just going to read this uh, quickly because it's NIV. Um, I'm just kind of going to summarize it. But verse 14, chapter 2 of James says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? And then he goes on to talk about, you know, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing for their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. In this section of scripture, I've always thought, you know, it's, it's pitting, you know, faith and actions against each other in a cage match. Should we have faith or should we have action? Who's going to come out alive? They're going at it, right? But he's not putting them against each other. He's actually doing the opposite and we'll get there later. But what he's doing is he's simply asking a question that he, he says a couple of times. What good is it? What is it good for? You know, so I'm like, whoa, huh. what is it good for? I kept singing that when I was with him because I was like, I, every time he asked that, he was like, you know, someone's hungry and they don't have clothes. And it's like, oh, go be good. And it's like, what is that good for? What is it good for uh, faith without, if it's not accompanied with actions? Um, he's asking a simple question. He's not trying to put them against each other. But I'll, I'll tell a story like this. Um, one of my best friends got a $150 gift certificate. One of those big fat gift certificates, the Visa ones. And and um, they were going to do some shopping online and get a fancy outfit. And um, and I was like, that's awesome. You know, I, I watched them like do all the putting on the code and it wasn't working. The card wasn't working. Just a little piece of plastic not working. And come to find out this person had got this card so long ago that the card, the, the website didn't even exist. Like it was like put in the code to find out your balance. It's like, and then on the card, it says, if you don't act, if you, there's an inact, like if you don't use it, you start to be charged a fee. And they had been charging it a dollar, two dollars, two dollars for so long that all the money disappeared. So my question is, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Come on. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying though, is, is you can take $150 and it can turn into just plastic because we didn't do anything with it. And this is not to say, I'm not sitting here, I'm not saying, I'm not, it's a painful one. It's a painful illustration, seriously. But I'm not saying that God is going to come around and like give a word and then be like, and like, just like take it away. Cause oh, you don't do anything. He's not throwing tantrums. Like I'll give it and take it back. He's a man of his word. He's a God of his word. He doesn't revoke it. So this revelation of faith without works is dead is actually for our benefit. See that person who got that gift card, the person who bought it for them, I don't know who it was, but the person who bought it for them, it was, it was intentional. It cost them. It was so expensive. It was heartfelt and it was a gift. Good. What good is a piece of plastic if you do nothing with it? What good is that gift if you do nothing with it? In, in a similar situation, we find ourselves with someone who gave a gift that cost them. It was expensive. It was heartfelt. It was a gift. Absolutely. So let me read this one more time. Um, uh, this last verse, I'm going to 217 in the NIV says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. So you go, go on to read. I think, eventually, do you have 20? All right, this one's mean. Don't remember, this is not me talking. I'm reading the Bible here. Verse 20 says this. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You guys want evidence? Okay, here it is. Verse 21 says this, was not our father Abraham considered righteous 
for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith was made complete by what he did. See, Christ is our author and our finisher. His faith was made complete. How? By what he did. When we participate with Christ as our author, we actually do something with it, participate. Then we get the privilege of knowing him as a finisher. When we receive something from him and do nothing with it, we never get to know him as a finisher of our faith. Abraham's faith was made complete by what he did. And these two things, does that make sense of like how they work together? Because I'll say verse 20, that's, that's verse 22, I think it is. Yeah, you see that his faith and his actions were working together. That word working together in the, um, in the Greek is to cooperate. So you have our faith, what we receive from God, the raiment from God that comes from straight from relationship with him. What he's saying, he calls you, you know, whatever he calls you, you got personal words from him, right? And then we act on it. The actions and the faith, they cooperate. They help each other. That word, that word in the Greek means um, they collaborate. So the question I was asking myself is, are my actions helping my faith? Is how I'm acting helping me to trust God more? Or trust me more? Is my trust in God helping me to how I act and how I act? Are my actions cooperating with my faith? Do my actions line up with my faith? Are you guys not ready for this? I, 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 I thought this is really helpful questions. Because without it, we're, we got, we're sitting here with a big fat sign on our, on our church that says living faith, and we can walk and not actually do yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Um, we'd be phonies. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, can I give you a helpful hint for this? Actually, I'll skip that. If, if I forget, just come back to me and, okay. and, um, and, I'll, and I'll say it. But I think one of the keys for me personally in walking out, we're talk- some of these conversations with God can be tough. Navigating like, God, how am I doing with my faith? It could be really hard because you're, you're, you're really vulnerable to like, well, you know, what is he going to say? It might hurt what he has to say and stuff like that. But I think vulnerability is such a key in what we're talking about here. Um, in verse... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. And I was really bothered by this because it's like God's omnipresent, right? But I don't see omni-freedom. I know the truth and I'm not free. God's presence is here, but I'm not free. Why is that? I thought if where the Lord's presence is, there should be freedom. Well, it's because... You missed a couple of verses before that in verse 14, where you talked about our minds being blinded. In verse 14, it says this, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. There's something covering, there's something between. That, if you want to talk about vulnerability being important, they weren't willing to be vulnerable. They weren't willing really to expose themselves. In one translation, it says to not an unveiled face, to turn them with a naked heart. Because the veil was taken away in Christ, but even to this day, when, the, when Moses is read, a veil lies on the heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty. Our minds can feel blinded sometimes in conversation with God when we're not willing to be vulnerable. And this is not accusatory. I'm saying this from, I'm a helpful hint from personal experience. I'll, I'll give you like a, a story of like, I was sitting right here on these chairs, and somebody was like, hey, I want you to ask God a question. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact question. It was like, 
ask God, is there anything you want me to change about my daily habits? And I was so scared that I would disappoint him that I was unable to hear what he had to say. He was speaking, but I would shut him up before he talked because I, would, I was covering myself with disappointment. I already know you'll be disappointed, so let me just preemptively put that up. It wasn't until I was willing to allow him to speak however he wants to speak, I took the veil out, that I, I turned to him, not to me, not to my past, not to my mistakes, not to my own you know, presumption, whatever it is. When I was willing to let that go, to take that veil off, then I could turn to him and, oh my gosh, I could see it. And I got the sweetest response from him. He wasn't disappointed at all. He was trying to invite me into something new. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? That picture? So sometimes we try and avoid, we try and avoid vulnerability with God and it's, it's not, um, it's not very helpful for us. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Great. So, uh, how do we actually turn to the Lord? Do you want to shift your relationship with God? You want to shift your relationship with truth? You want to unhinder your relationship and stuff like that? You, you know, this verse goes on to say that it, it take, he takes us from glory to glory. If that's something you're hungry for. If you're like, oh, this is great glory, but I want more. The, the key is actually turning to the Lord. Um, and this, I'm not an expert in, but I do love when I get it. You know, I'm not like perfect at this, but I absolutely adore when I get to turn to him and, and who he is just like wrecks who I am. I love it. So I'm going to tell a story a little bit about um, when we were in our first home, we first got, uh, Megan and I first got married. We had Levi and I was under a, a, like spiritual attacks. I couldn't sleep well. There was like demonic stuff that would happen. And so I would get up and I would plead the blood of Jesus because that always works, right? And it does. Very powerful. I got up. I said, I know what to do. Jesus. Yeah, that app. And the, and the spirits would leave. And it was very simple. But rarely did I actually wake up and ask God, you know, what do you want to do? What's happening? I just knew I was raised in church. The blood of Jesus works. My Bible says to use it, so I did. And I'm not against that. I'm, I'm very pro blood of Jesus. But I'll tell you one night, I'll tell you one night that it happened and it never happened again after this. And the only difference was this. I had this, I woke up. I was, you know, there's some stuff, weird stuff happening. So I run to Levi's room to just check on him. My, my first thought was, if there's a demon there, I'm going to fight him. That was, I, I want to protect him. I care about him. I'm being so serious. So I, I felt this thing. I run across the hall, get into Leon's room, and I burst in the door, and he looks at me. And he looks at me with this look of, are we about to play? <laughs> he was like, it's three in the morning. Are we really about to play right now? And I was like, no, there's, there's some, I was like, he, I could see the way he looked at me as if like, he's looking to me for, for what to do next. And that's when I realized what spiritual warfare actually should look like. It's as simple as that. If we're not turning to him, what are we, what glory are we expecting? Do you see what I'm saying? I sat there. It's so funny. Cause I was sitting there. I was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. So he turned to me and I turned to my father and I said, father, this is weird what's happening in, in my house. What should we do? And he told me exactly what to do, but it came straight from him. And I'm telling you, I did what he said. I was obedient and never, ever encountered that ever again. Years. I'm talking about years. But, but it wasn't, and I'm telling you, I bled the blood. I put the blood juice on everything. I was blood. I was blood. I was gang blood. I was a blood. The people asked, I was blood. But, but, but I'm saying, but I'm saying that, that it works. Jesus works. But sometimes if, if, we, if we don't look to the Father, we're not going to see that glory we're looking for. And that turning to him can be as simple as Levi, when I, when he, when I burst in the room, he just looked at me like, what do we do? So often we don't ask what do we do. We just say, God, this is the plan. This is the strategy. I'll plead the blood. So we have to pay attention 
to what he's doing. And it's funny because Jesus does that really well. Um, he says, I only do what the Father, what I see the Father do, right? Super, super, super good tip there. I think he says it right there. I speak what I see in my Father, what I see with my Father. And, and I think uh, John chapter five, he says, I only do what the Son only does what the Father does. Um, so I, I'd say the helpful hint for turning to God is pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Just pay attention to God. Um, the, the verb to pay, I was curious about. Um, it means to give what is due for work done, goods received, or debt incurred. So for me to pay attention to God, I have to give him what he's, do, what he's due for the work he's done, for the fullness I received, and for the debt he's paid. So if you ever have trouble turning to God, like let's say you're stressed, or you're, I mean, I'm trying to think of one. You, you, maybe like an emergency happens. If you ever have trouble turning to God because something's real, like life is real, it'll smack you in the face sometimes. And I'm not trying to diminish that. That's a real thing. But I'm telling you, there's something more real and sometimes we just forget to look to it. Think about the work that he's done on the cross. Think about how of his fullness we receive or all the riches in heaven. Think about the debt that was paid. And I'm telling you, it's so e- so much easier. I was sitting here in worship and I was thinking about stuff and I was like, oh wait, let me turn to you real quick. And I thought about, I remember sitting here as a 13 year old Afro braces, little weenie kid. And I was just like such a scrawny, like I, did, I thought I knew I was so empty and so broken and he met me there. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so easy to pay attention to him when you remember just how good he's been. So if you have trouble with that, I encourage you, pay attention. Um, does that make sense? Okay, so how do I practically, like, you know, that's really fun to think about me with Afro embraces, but how do I practically actually turn towards him and pay attention to him? I'm glad you asked. And um, in John chapter eight, where we started, Jesus actually talks about it. You know, he says, you know, the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And some people know the truth and they're not free. Well, it's funny because like, Right before that, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my true disciples indeed. And then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so I think the first step to actually experiencing what we're talking about here tonight is abiding in his word. It's the same word in this verse in John chapter 8, verse 31, as, you, as used in John 15. And I'm just, I just, we can go there. You're, you can go look at that. I don't, I don't want to tonight because I'll get lost. I love John 15 too much. But I'll say this about abiding and we'll leave it there. Abiding, Matt talked about it tonight and it was so sweet. Actually, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to hype Matt up. I'm saying there was a king in the room that made it so easy. You know that word, the direct translation for that word? Actually, let me flip to it. Um, it means to abide, means to dwell, to stay, to settle in, to sink deep, to remain present, to sink deep. So he's saying, sink deep into my word. In John 15, it says, abide in me, sink deep into me. If you think about you sinking into something, very simple, not a hard concept. You sink in a pool, what happens? You go lower, that goes higher. For me to sink into something, I have to be consumed by it. Think about a beanbag or a squishy couch. You slip into a squishy couch, you sink into that, it is consuming you. You're not getting back out. A pool, a puddle of mud, your car sinks into some water, whatever it is. In order for us to sink in, he has to become higher and we have to become lower. And this is not a like beat yourself up thing. I'm saying when I walked in the room tonight for worship, there was a king who was way more important than what I was thinking about before I walked in. You see what I'm saying? 
I was more aware of it. When I turned towards him, when I gave him my attention, I started to realize, oh my gosh, he's so much more important. So it's easier for me to sink into him when I allow him to be just as big as he actually is. And stop making myself bigger or my problems bigger, whatever. We sink so easily into the, the sick circumstances we're in. Where it's like, if we just sink into him, things would be way, way more fruitful. Because if you abide in him, we bear fruit. <sighs> Goodness gracious. Okay. Is this making sense? If not, that's okay, because I'm going to recap it real quick. All right? Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, it is the whole purpose of why we're doing this is because we're going into, or we're, we've been in this series unhindered faith, right? And it's important to look at our relationship with truth and just our relationship with God in general, because if our relationship is hindered, then our faith will be hindered. So we talked about, you know, how do we actually, how do we actually um, turn towards him or pay attention or ask for, it's a simple question. We ask ourselves, what have you done? What price have you paid? What have you done in my life personally? What debt do I owe? All this stuff. It's, it helps us to receive that. And then I feel like you guys are good at that, so I'll skip past that recap. But the next question I was asking is, what is the father doing? Remember with Levi when I went into his room and remember when Jesus was like, I only do what I see the father doing. (sighs) The strategy of heaven comes through sonship. You saw the strategy of heaven uh, came from the father with Levi. The same thing happened with me with my God. There was a strategy I, was, I didn't have access to because I wasn't willing to be a son. I was operating like an orphan. I'm going to tell you, um, in boxing, there's a couple of different things. Muhammad Ali had this thing called the rope-a-dope, and he just let people beat up on him. He'd just get beat and beat and beat, and then he'd get tired, and then he'd whip that butt. Okay? That's the rope-a-dope. But there's another movie I watched, and it was, um, there's a guy, I think it was Mark Wahlberg, and he was going head, body, head, body, head, body, head, body. And the principle behind that is you punch someone in the body or head, and they cover their head up. And then when they cover their head up, you punch them in the body. And when they cover their body up, you punch them in the head. And when they cover their head up, you punch them in the body. Two different strategies, right? For boxing. Jesus did the rope-a-dope. Jesus let it, people beat on him and he took the keys. When, it was crazy. I'm telling you, I, I mean, it's, it's funny, but I'm saying there's a strategy that comes through sonship. He was silent like a lamb to the slaughter, but he also was flipping tables. What's the strategy? I'll tell you, it's found as when a son looks at his father. I only do what I see the father do. So what is the father doing? When you get in your car on your way home, what is the father doing? When you wake up in the morning, what is the father doing? When you get to work, what is it? Before you send the email, what is the father doing? Before you lay hands on someone, what is the father doing? Because Jesus put, he healed people. He put mud on people's eyes. He, t- he touched them. One time, he didn't even touch anybody. They just pulled up and grabbed a garment. What's the strategy? What is my father doing? He's, he's so much more creative and so much more fun than me. Let him be sometimes. <sighs> okay, that's the, what is the father doing? Um, yeah, the shadows of heaven comes through sonship. The next question I, I was um, asking about obedience in James 2, we talk about what do I do now? So we got, what is the Father doing? But now what do I do? And why is this question important? Because if we do nothing, our faith is as good as nothing. We've been given the shield of faith. Now, can I just ask you, what happens if you don't pick up a shield? I mean, imagine if someone tried to rob you and you were like, no, you can't. They're like, give me your money. And you're like, uh, I got a bulletproof vest and a gun. And they're like, where? And you're like, 
at my house. <laughs> it's like, I'm definitely taking your money. What are you talking about? Like, you, we're, sometimes we're like, I got my shield of faith in my rhema, word of the Lord. And it's like, where is it? It's in my journal right next to my bed. I don't have done nothing with it. It's like, and then we get robbed and we're like, God, why is this word not working? It's like, you're not working the word. Goodness gracious. <sighs> not you guys, me. Remember, this is about me, right? Okay, all right, good. Um, I think I'll be done. Cool. Are we good with all this? Um, so just to recap the questions. Um, yeah, what the, my favorite one is what the father, what is the father doing? And then what do I do with that? But all that strategy comes through sonship. Um, yeah, I have more. Yeah, helpful. No, I, I have more than like that was those. I, if you go, if you go away with anything, go away with that of of this idea of of I'm curious. What are you doing, Father? Just look at him. Are we playing? Are we serious? What are we doing? And then, and then from there, ask him like, what do I do with this? What's your role? How do I participate? What does it look like to hold my shield? What does it look like to swing my sword? Uh, a, a sword, a shield is only as as um, effective as it is held. The sword, the same. It's of no use. No gun is ever just like shot off on itself. You have to hold it. You have to squeeze it. If you do nothing with it, it does nothing. And you've got, you guys are loaded for bear. You guys are loaded, man. I'm telling you, some of you guys, I've heard some crazy words from you. I know God speaks to you like you're the only kid he's got. <laughs> I hear this stuff, man. You guys are full of faith. You're full of faith. And so let's do something with it. Cool. Okay. That's all. I really want to share something else. So if you have any questions, please come find me after this, but I'm not going to be disobedient. That, that's one of the keys for like, with, I, I think it's so important with faith is, you know, we talk about John 15 abiding. He says, how do you abide? You abide in me by obeying my commandments. We want to sit there and settle in and do nothing. But he's saying settling in, sinking in actually means doing something. You know what I'm saying? And so we get a word and we're like, oh, just sit here. Now, that is important. I, that was something like, it was, it hit me right in the face. Like some of you guys need to be loved. Absolutely. His commandment, he said, is love others like I've loved you. The prerequisite to do his commandment is being loved by him. We can't accomplish any commands unless we're loved. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You think he was joking? Oh my goodness gracious. All right, I'm done. Like I said, I'm done. All right, I'm done. I love you. Let me pray for you. And then you get out of here. You get in your cars and you ask him, God, what are you doing? Cool. And then... And then maybe I'll write a book on something because I have too much. I have too much in me right now. <sighs> Jesus, we love you. I thank you so much for sharing your heart with me. I thank you so much for sharing your heart with us. I adore you. Like, yes. I love the school of worship, but if this school of worship wasn't here, we'd still study you. Yes. School of word and worship, sorry. If this school of word and worship wasn't here, we'd still study you. You are adorable, God. You are adorable. You're so worthy of our attention. You're so worthy of our curiosity. You're so worthy of our, our rides home and our wake up in the morning and our work. You're so worthy of it. I thank you so much for your truth. And I thank you for shifting our relationship with it right now. We don't want to have the same. We don't want to know you the same way we did at, like leaving as we did when we came in. We are hungry to know you deeper, to know you more. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for walking us into all truth. You're so good at your job. We love you. We thank you for it. And I thank you, Father, for giving us this wonderful gift of the living word. You so freely gave. We don't waste it. We don't. We receive it, thankfully. And we, we, we do something with it. Through you and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Amen.